It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show, and happy Halloween. That's coming up uh, Sunday. Today is Wednesday, of course, which means it's Armchair Politics Day. But what do we do when we're close to Halloween? We go to hell. (laughs) Hell, Michigan, that is. And today's edition of Armchair Politics will be coming live from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, thanks to the new owner, Mike Haney and Hammer and the rest of the crew for uh, letting us put the show on here. But that's coming up in about an hour. We'll have two hours of commentary and analysis uh, of local, state, and national headlines from politics and current events. And we'll have our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. And they'll be joined by uh, consulting editor for East Village Magazine, Jan Worth Nelson. This is her uh, debut visit to Helm uh, the Hell Saloon and doing armchair politics from hell. And and she told me that she's always wanted to do this and that, you know, she was really glad to be invited and to participate. So should be uh, should be a fun roundtable. And uh, before that, I'm going to talk with, uh, coming up in the first hour, well, we have some fun stuff. We have Schlocktober and we've got uh, 
was the comedy spotlight and all that. But the guest this hour is going to talk about the legacy of Barack Obama. He's written a new book called The Black President, and um, his name is Claude Clegg, and that's coming up in, well, right after the first, uh, right after the first break. We're going to hear some, some music, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we're going to dress up as the uh, Bickersons, I think. But uh, anyway, fun stuff uh, ahead on today's show. And this is the first time that uh, the Armchair Politics Roundtable crew will be together in person since before the pandemic. So it's kind of a special day, not just because it's Armchair Politics from hell, but it's also Armchair Politics in person. We'll be back.
Everybody, it's me, Tigger, T-I-Double-G-R, that spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. 
Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour is Professor of History and African American Studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He is also an author and the author of a new book called The Black President, Hope and Fury in the Age of Obama. It's written by Professor Claude A. Clegg III. And he joins me by phone. Hi, Claude. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Okay, the book about uh, the book is about Barack Obama. Um, I get the black president, but hope and fury in the age of Obama. Uh, as you look at at 
the president's legacy is it is it too soon to talk legacy or and 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 how much hope and how much fury in that legacy yeah yeah so I think that we'll be talking, we historians especially, will be talking about Barack Obama long into the future. And again, um, historians, every generation of historians come up with their own interpretations of whatever the subject is. So that's one of the reasons we're still getting a, a slew of Abraham Lincoln biographies every year. That is, uh, we historians, even if there's nothing new to say, there's, there's some new person to say it. <laughs> but often there is something new to say. Uh, so I don't think we're too early in regard to President Obama and to be thinking about his his legacy. I think uh, that we have enough hindsight. Uh, he left office in, in 2017, January, so almost five years ago. So we have enough hindsight. Of course, we have the prism of the uh, his successor's presidency, Donald Trump's presidency, and now Joe Biden to, to view the Obama years through. So... We, I think we have some hindsight, and again, these are the lenses through which to view his, his time to enough to think about legacy. Uh, your point in regard to the fury part, uh, hope and fury in the age of Obama, the subtitle of the book, uh, that is a play on, of course, um, President Obama's mantra, uh, his, his slogan during the 2008 campaign, hope and change, yes we can. So his was a very optimistic take in regard to the American future and American possibility and the idea that we could surmount our divisions, whether it's race, whether it's party, and so forth, and move forward as Americans in this awful economic crisis that the country is facing in the recession of 2008. So Obama is promising uh, an uplifting, um, an aspirational message about what it is to be an American in a crisis and the assumption that we'd all pull together, of course, is not necessarily the case that that's, that bears itself out. Uh, but this this idea of hope and change, that we'd be, we'd be leaving the Bush darkness behind with wars and this economic crisis and so forth, and we'd be moving forward as a country out of this, this sort of malaise and crisis. Uh, he doesn't anticipate, and I think a lot of Americans don't anticipate the sort of resistance to him and his message, not only his policies and his politics and so forth, uh, but also the idea of a black president in the White House. Uh, I don't think that he uh, or many observers anticipate the sort of implacable nature of the resistance coming from uh, the Republican Party and conservatives, uh, especially the hardcore right, uh, in regard to his his presidency and the sort of theory uh, that is represented by the Tea Party that that comes on the scene in 2010-2011 to oppose his Affordable, Affordable Care Act, or the later to Donald Trump, uh, who would be the standard bearer for um, all things anti-Obama going into the 2016 election, starting with the idea that Obama is not even legitimate as a president. He was born el elsewhere. He wasn't born here. Uh, and using that as a vehicle to launch his own career, Donald Trump, into really the stratosphere of Republican politics. Well, do you think Obama's in good company as far as uh, not being a, leg a legitimate present, uh, president uh, since Trump attacked the legitimacy of the uh, presidency of uh, Joe Biden? Yeah, I, I think as far as 
you know, Trump is concerned, no one is legitimate except for him. You know, <laughs> John, McC- John McCain is not legitimate as a as a war hero. Uh, Barack Obama is not legitimate as a president. Biden is not legitimate as a president, and and so forth and so on. So yeah, it's it, you know, it's, it, it's more or less his position. If, if it's uh, uh, something that he doesn't like, then it certainly can't be anything but fake news. You know, when I was a kid, Claude, I I remember being taught that anyone can become president. And as I grew up, I found out, you know, that that's either true or not true, depending on your point of view. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I remember actually shedding a tear as I watched Barack Obama be inaugurated. I thought, we have a black president. Maybe we can put all this racial divide behind us. And I was really disappointed to see, you know, the reaction of Mitch McConnell. You know, we got to do everything we can to keep this guy from being successful. You know, all of these things that happened... But the thing I think that bothered me most, and I think you touch on this in the book, is, yeah, America was open enough to elect a black president, but it brought out, it, it seemed to, to, I don't know, widen the divide. Did Do you see it that way as, as you know, all of a sudden it, it woke up a sleeping giant with... Uh, just anti-black sentiment? I think it was a double-edged sword, Tom, in regard to the election of of Barack Obama. Um, One, I think his election, you know, I I think that's one way to read his election. Now, you know, anybody can become president or, you know, uh, any black guy can be, or black person can become president. But I think we're probably being even too... uh, too optimistic about that, you know. Obama is a particular kind of person, you know. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean that in the sense that even a black guy could become president, Claude. Although I did make jokes at the time um, <laughs> with with close friends that that uh, America w- would rather elect a black man than a woman. Um, mm. <laughs> but but I meant that facetiously. No, when I when I said anyone could become president, as I grew up, I found out that wasn't exactly true, and so it was right. very dramatic to me when Barack Obama got elected. I, I I I really felt like America was changing and was moving forward. But I then, that, and, I, and then, and mm-hmm. this is also something you touched on in the book, and that is this idea that. As the first black president, Barack Obama had to walk a tightrope. You know, he he couldn't make a mistake. Right, right. So, uh, I think that in his case, it's a double-edged sword in regard to the meaning and what people draw from his significance in the White House. I think on the one side, it's the things that you alluded to. Tom, that is, it's a moment of pride for the country. It is, you know, there are a lot of people who didn't believe this, they'd see this in their lifetimes. 
Uh, I, I had people on my show with, say that, I, you yeah, know, especially I, especially elderly blacks, mm-hmm, you know. And mm-hmm, I think and, every radio show in the country had some elderly black person on it said, I didn't think I'd see this in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I don't think it was just them, but I think that they were perhaps the most skeptical, as you're saying. So uh, I think that for this to happen and... Um, a lot of people didn't think they'd ever see anything like this. I think it was just a moment of immeasurable pride that people had in the country and its possibilities. And I think the symbolism of a black first family in the White House for almost a decade. You know, you have, ho- you have a whole generation of kids who grew up, and their first consciousness of politics is that there's a black family in the in the White House, and that's normal to them. In their reality, that's normal. And, of course, for us older people, we know that that absolutely was not normal. But for, there's a whole generation of people who, who grew up in those eight years, and that's all they knew was, as far as their political consciousness was concerned, there was a black first family in the White House, and the most powerful person in the world and the most powerful office in the world was the black guy. Uh, so I don't think we have... And I think it's, it's worthy of mention to process that yet. And I think it's worthy of mention, Claude, that his tenure in the White House was, by and large, scandal-free. Yes, yes, and I and, think that's one of the not only the the great you know symbolisms, but the great substance of his presidency is that you had this well-educated, well-trained serious, competent man in the White House. There's no serious, no serious scandals even over eight years. Um, and he handled, he handled the job. He fueled the office. Uh, so I think that that, and I think that he was very conscious of the fact that as the first uh, black president, he needed to do the job competently. He needed to do the job as well as he could. He needed to to uh, handle the business of the office. And I, I think generally he, he did do that. Uh, but I think that's one of the burdens of the office. It's the burden that his successor doesn't really have to deal with uh, because he's not the first you know guy, he's not the first black guy, he's not the first Ivy League person. Uh, so he doesn't have to measure up to the bar even, you know, actually it's probably just the opposite. There are those who would argue that a Trump is possible as president because you know, it's okay to lower the bar uh, for him uh, because there's a black guy in the office right before him. Uh, so we just need to get the black guy in the office. It doesn't kind of matter who is the next person as long as it's not him. So uh, I, I think that you're exactly right in regard to the powerful symbolism of a person in the office who handled it well um, and, and without scandal. Well, and and the role that his family played, um you know, there's yeah. so many people in America, especially whites, and you hear all the time, I wish we could go back to the days of Leave it to Beaver, you know, when everything mm-hmm. was nice and pleasant and all that. And you couldn't come closer to a Leave it to Beaver family than the Obamas in the White House. Oh, yes. And I think Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. yeah, it was very much choreographed, this nice, Middle class, really upper middle class, uh, family, nuclear family, you know, mom and dad, the two girls and the dog. Uh, I, I absolutely believe that um, that was choreographed by the Obamas from day one when he first launched his campaign 
through the White House years. They ate dinner together. They let it be known they were eating dinner together. He's the doting father. I think he made it to a few of the girls' ball games. So, yeah, they are very much performing a sort of American nuclear family heteronormative reality, um, believing, I imagine, that um, they couldn't really do otherwise. It was enough of a... Uh, a leap for many people to see a black first family in the White House. Uh, if you're going to have that, you need to be, I imagine the thinking was, as conventional, and leave it to Beavers, I think a really good visual here, uh, as conventional an American family as you possibly can. Uh, because there are going to be those who are going to try to make you as a sort of strange other the sort of outlier there, of course, there were those saying, saying the guy was a Muslim and the guy was, he's born in Kenya. He's not even really supposed to be there. So the pushback against that is to be as conventional and traditional as you can in regard to, I think, the family life is the, is the, the most uh, visual way in which they are being as, quote, unquote, American as they possibly can. Now you've and this this is a pretty weighty tome, Claude. <laughs> you you touched on everything, my friend. Um, but but I want to ask because there are a couple of high profile accomplishments from the Obama years. Obviously, Obamacare. I mean, we call it Obamacare. Mm-hmm. The Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. was huge. Um, mm-hmm. Eliminating Osama bin Laden was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you were putting the book together, what were the conclusions you came to as the real legacy-defining moments of the Obama presidency? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you touched on a couple of those. Uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, I think, is the most enduring. His his health care plan designed to um, maximize the number of people covered by health care and of course going along with that the expansion of Medicaid uh, to bring in even more people into the health care system. Uh, he doesn't get the public option in, in the bill uh, but um, it eventually covers millions of people and it's alive today although it's been challenged several times by the courts and by Republicans in Congress uh, but it's still alive and kicking today and still uh, millions, millions of people are covered by that. So I, I think that's the top achievement, policy achievement, but there are others. There's the stimulus package that probably saved us from going into a great depression uh, at the beginning of its presidency. There's the automobile bailout that probably saved a few million jobs at least. Uh, strengthening of the social safety net, whether it was Medicaid expansion, enhancing Pell Grants, uh, earned income, child tax credits, food assistance, and so forth. Uh, there was some movement when it comes to green energy, but not as much as I think is being contemplated contemplated now. Uh, so there's the recognition that we needed to abandon fossil fuels, uh, and the country was a signatory of the Paris Climate Accords during the Obama years. So there was movement. You could argue that Movement then and movement now has not been enough in regard to the crisis of climate change that the world is facing, but there's movement. And late in his term, where there was the movement on criminal justice reform in regard to sentencing and so forth, uh, he, wound, he winds down uh, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, not completely, but the troop commitments are reduced. Now, that's aside from the question of whether we won in either place, and you could argue we won in neither place. 
but uh, certainly the commitment of troops uh, is is, is uh, slowly decelerated and, and and pulled back during his his presidency. And then, of course, the, the high symbolism of a black first family in the White House, in which uh, he doesn't only win by convincing margins in the popular vote in the electoral vote in 2008, but he also wins re-election. Uh, by margins that we just don't see in American uh, campaigns anymore. Uh, that we have close campaigns really since 2000 with Bush v. Gore. Uh, so that's also a powerful part of his legacy in regard to being elected and reelected with very powerful, very convincing margins in the popular and electoral college votes. You know, one of the things that that I felt watching his presidency was that the tightrope that you refer to in the book, he he had to walk such a thin line to, you know, to protect the history of the first black president that maybe he didn't tackle as many things or maybe he didn't accomplish as much as a lot of African Americans might have hoped with regard to race relations. Did, do you conclude that? Yes, absolutely. And that's the, one of the paradoxes. Maybe it's a sad irony of his presidency that as his first black president, he could not appear to be too pro-black or behind uh, any sort of black agenda or targeting policy to alleviate alleviate. Um, uh, crises facing black communities too directly. Uh, he got a lot of criticism for that very re- that very thing. That is, uh, if you look at the statistics, African Americans were suffering worse during this Great Recession. Just look at unemployment rates and home foreclosure rates, sure. uh, loss of household wealth. You could just go across the board. And the thinking, you know, of of some black academics and, and politicians and and others was that since the crisis is so acute in the black community, and since the black community gave Obama 90-plus percent of their votes, he should turn government policy in their direction and address these acute uh, vulnerabilities that this particular population was suffering. Obama's thinking was, you know, I think he was sympathetic to that view, but I think he understood the politics and the math that is, if you wanted to be reelected, and most presidents want to be reelected, you could not come off as privileging any particular portion of the electorate, and you certainly could not come off as the black as the first black president privileging black people as as voters or just as citizens with with policies directed towards them and their benefit. So he instead uh, preferred these sort of broad stroke policies, like the Affordable Care Act, for example. So you would make health care affordable, you'd expand uh, Medicaid uh, and so forth, and although on the face of it, those were race-neutral policies, the effect would be that the most vulnerable, those without health care, those most likely not to have health care, would be benefited the most, and that often turned out to be African Americans, Hispanics, and poor people, and urban dwellers, and so forth, people who were at the bottom of the society in regard to their economic circumstances. So it was a way of using, again, a broad brush policy. Pell Grants were the same. You know, you're going to increase the value of Pell Grants so kids can go to school, but uh, African-American kids were more dependent upon those 
per, as a percentage or more dependent upon those Pell Grants than other kids, and thus by increasing Pell Grants, you were disproportionately helping black and Hispanic students. Uh, so he preferred those kind of, you know, broad brush policies that if you look under the hood, you could see that they actually benefited the most vulnerable as opposed to directly targeting policies towards black people in an explicit fashion, which he thought was uh, a game loser. Uh, it was a non-starter, and especially given that his electoral, co- his electoral coalition was primarily white. It was not African-American, it was not people of color, but it was primarily white voters who had put him in the White House. Uh, to to come across as picking winners and losers among your electorate uh, Claude, by targeting I, particular policies uh, was not a was not a winner. Claude, we're uh, we're we're out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners. I feel like we're just scratching the surface, but where listeners can find out more about you, the book, your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website, Claude? I do. I do. My website is www.claudeclegg.com, and I'm also on Twitter at Claude Clegg, and I'm a professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Well, Claude, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you for your time and your interest. Keep up the good work. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. That was uh, Professor Claude A. Clegg III. He is the Lyle Jones Professor of History and African American Studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Chapel Hill. He is the author of An Original Man, The Life and Times of Elijah Muhammad, and Troubled Ground, A Tale of Murder, Lynching, and Reckoning in the New South. Before his new book, uh, The Black President, Hope and Fury in the Age of Obama, considered the first sweeping legacy-defining history of the entire Obama presidency. And um, that book uh, is, uh, well, it was set for release October 12th, 2021. So it's a brand new, uh, brand new book. And uh, that wraps it up. We're going to take a, a short break. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Fashion Radio for the new generation. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development cooperation with other experts worldwide and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine 
and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. W.H. Weiscarver, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarver, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The 35th President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, had frequently demonstrated a quick and ready wit. But his audience at the 1962 White House Correspondents' Dinner was unprepared for the high humor he revealed that night. It was shortly after his now-famous clash with the steel industry, in which the industry had announced and then rescinded a steel price increase. I have a few opening announcements. First, the sudden and arbitrary action of the offices of this organization in increasing the price of dinner tickets by two... $2.50 over last year constitutes a wholly unjustifiable defiance of the public interest. If this increase is not rescinded, but is imitated by the gridiron, radio, TV, and other dinners, it will have a serious impact on the entire economy of this city. In this serious hour in our nation's history, when newsmen are awakened in the middle of the night to be given a front-page story. When expense accounts are being scrutinized by the Congress. When correspondents are required to leave their families for long and lonely weekends at Palm Beach. The American people will find it hard to accept this ruthless decision made by a tiny handful of executives. <laughs> Whose only interest is the pursuit of pleasure. I am hopeful that the Women's Press Club will not join this price rise and will thereby force a rescission. I'm uh, sure... I speak in behalf of all of us in expressing our thanks and very best wishes to Benny Goodman and his group, Miss Gwen Burden and Bob Force, Miss Sally Ann Howes, Mr. Reed, who has some talent, but... Uh, <laughs> and uh, Mr. Peter Sellers. I, I have arranged for them to appear next week on the United States Steel Hour. I didn't do it. Bobby did it, but... Uh, we're gonna... <laughs> like uh, members of Congress, I have been, during the last few days over the Easter holiday, back in touch with my constituents and uh, seeing how they felt. And frankly, I've come back to Washington from Palm Beach, and I'm against my entire program. Where'd you... Where'd you... The only hope in 64 is to, uh, on the Republican ticket, is to nominate uh, Barry. But to be honest, I thought that before I went to Palm Beach. 
We are glad to have the Prime Minister tonight. Last night he was the guest of the publishers, and again he is tonight. We want him to know... Uh, Welcome he is. Lord Dunsany, a distinguished Irishman, said many years ago, to fight England is to fight faith. And I choose to believe in 1962, to be associated with England in a great cause is to be associated with faith. Prime Minister, we are proud to have you here again. We are... on his behalf in saying that after having been in the hands of 1,400 members of the press for over four hours, we haven't got a single complaint. Thank you. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickerson. What's, what's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of something. What kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning and I I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potato salad? I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find the meat for him. 
I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. <laughs> Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question, only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. Baggy? Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. Hand me my... Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? Hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage, anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. Pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here!